SS Cedric arrived in New York's harbor Wednesday evening, April 10, 1912. Several passengers on board were sick with typhoid and were taken to Hoffman Island to be quarantined. The remaining passengers stayed on board the ship until the next morning. That all men are created equal. Reporter boarded the SS Cedric this morning to talk to Abbas Effendi, the famed religionist from the East. I am the Edison Phonograph. As he paced the deck, talking with the reporters, he appeared alert and active in every movement, his head thrown back and splendidly poised upon his broad, square shoulders. A profusion of iron-gray hair bursting out of the sides of the turban and hanging long upon the neck. A large, massive head, full-domed and remarkably wide across the forehead and temples the forehead rising like a great palisade above the eyes, which were very wide apart, their orbits large and deep, looking out from under massive, overhanging brows. Strong Roman nose, generous ears, decisive yet kindly mouth and chin, a creamy white complexion, beard same color as his hair, worn full over the face and carefully trimmed at almost full length. Prophet of Baha'i here, New York City Sun. Banished 50 years, leader of Baha'i here. Persian philosopher favors women's suffrage and will talk peace. New York City Evening Abdul Mail. Abdul Baha Abbas is here to preach brotherly love. New York Evening Mail. Abdul Baha, dazed by city rush, calls New York a beehive. New York Herald. Persian teacher of world peace is here. New York City Evening World. Don't laugh at Abdul Abbas. He has an idea. People with ideas generally are laughed at. But after the world has laughed long enough, it turns around and eats the idea very solemnly and very greedily, and digests it, and makes it part of its bone and fiber. We are not personally acquainted with Abdul Abbas, and we cannot tell how much of the charlatanry may be mixed up with his doctrine. But the idea in itself is good stuff. He is the strange anomaly of an oriental mystic who believes in woman suffrage and in Broadway. He is worth his picture in the papers. And now, a story from Juliet Thompson. Marjorie and I had suggested to them that the master might not want this public demonstration, but their eagerness was too great to be influenced by just two, and so we had to go along with them. Only too glad to do so, to tell the truth. During the morning, the harbor misted over. At last, in the mist, we saw a phantom ship. And at that very moment, some newsboys ran through the crowd, waving extras. The Pope is dead! The Pope is dead! They shouted. The Pope was not dead. The extras had been printed only on a rumor, but what a symbol and how exactly timed. Closer and closer, ever more substantial, came that historic ship, that epoch-making ship, till at last it swam out solid into the light, one of the Persians sitting on the bow in his long robes, abba, and turban. This was Sayyid Asadullah, a marvelous, witty old man who would come with the master to prepare his meals. 
He told us later that when the ship was approaching the harbor and the master saw as his first view of America the Wall Street skyscrapers, he had laughed and said, those are the minarets of the West. <laughs> what divine irony. The ship docked, but the master did not appear. Suddenly, I had a great glimpse. In the dim hall beyond the deck, striding to and fro near the door, was one with a step that shook you. Just that one stride, charged with power. The sweep of a robe, a majestic head, turban crowned. That was all I saw, but my heart stopped. Marjorie's instinct and mine had been true. Mr. Kinney was called for to come aboard the ship. He returned with a disappointing message. The master sent his love but wanted us to disperse now. He would meet us all at the Kinney's house at four. Well, everyone obeyed at once except Marjorie, Rhoda, and myself. Marjorie, who loves the teachings but who's never wholly accepted them, said, I can't leave until I've seen him. I can't. I won't. So, though we followed the crowd to the street, we slipped away there and looked around for some place to hide. Quite a distance below the big entrance to the pier, we saw a fairly deep embrasure into which a window was set, with the stone wall jutting out from it. Here we flattened ourselves against the window. Rhoda, who was conspicuously tall, clasping a long white box of lilies which she had bought for the master. Just in front of the entrance stood Mr. Mills' car, his chauffeur in it. Suddenly, it rolled forward, and to our utter dismay, parked directly in front of us. Now we were caught, certain to be discovered. But there was no help for it, for Marjorie still refused to budge until she had seen the master. Then he came, through the entrance with Mr. McNutt and Mr. Mills, and turned and walked swiftly toward the car. In a panic, we waited. A few nights ago, Marjorie and I had a double dream. In her dream, I was out in space with her. In mine, we were in a room together and the master had just entered it. He walked straight up to Marjorie, put his two hands on her shoulders and pressed and pressed till she sank to her knees. And while she was sinking, she lifted her face to his and everything in her seemed to be dying except her soul, which looked out through her raised eyes in a sort of agony of recognition. Today, after one glance at the master, this was just the way she looked. Now, she said, I know. And as the master was stepping into the car, he turned and smiled at us. You're listening to the Journey West podcast, dedicated to following the travels of Abdu'l-Bahá in the West. We've made it, Lorraine. We're in New York. It's really nice to be home, especially after our journey through Europe last year. Good thing we rested these past few months, because by December we'll have gone from coast to coast. That's true. I'm really excited to start our journey again. There are many people to meet and talks to hear. So let's begin. Abdu'l-Bahá's first public talk was given at the Church of the Ascension, the Sunday following his arrival. Juliet Thompson, who we heard at the beginning of the show, was instrumental in setting up this meeting. In her diary, she described the altar in the whole chapel as being banked with calla lilies. 
Dr. Percy Grant read first a prophecy from the Old Testament, pointing directly to this day, to Baha'u'llah, then the 13th chapter of Corinthians. After which he went to the vestry room and escorted Abdu'l-Baha to the bishop's chair. Stanwood Cobb described the talk given by Abdu'l-Baha as follows. The Persian words boomed forth almost as musically as in operatic recitatives. While he spoke, he was in constant and majestic motion. First would come the spiritual flow of thought, musically expressed in foreign tongue. Then, as the translator set forth its meaning to us, we had the added pleasure of watching Abdu'l-Baha respond to the art of the translator. Let's listen to that first public talk now, read by Shereya Juzgado. 14 April 1912, Talk at Church of the Ascension. In his scriptural lesson this morning, the revered doctor read a verse from the epistle of St. Paul to the Corinthians. For now we see through a glass, darkly, but then face to face. The light of truth has heretofore been seen dimly through variegated glasses, but now the splendors of divinity shall be visible through the translucent mirrors of pure hearts and spirits. The light of truth is a divine teaching heavenly instruction, merciful principles, and spiritual civilization. Since my arrival in this country, I find that material civilization has progressed greatly, that commerce has attained the utmost degree of expansion. Arts, agriculture, and all details of material civilization have reached the highest stage of perfection. But spiritual civilization has been left behind, Material civilization is like unto the lamp, while spiritual civilization is the light in that lamp. If the material and spiritual civilization become united, then we will have the light and the lamp together, and the outcome will be perfect. For material civilization is like unto a beautiful body, and spiritual civilization is like unto the spirit of life. If that wondrous spirit of life enters this beautiful body, the body will become a channel for the distribution and development of the perfections of humanity. Jesus Christ came to teach the people of the world this heavenly civilization and not material civilization. He breathed the breath of the Holy Spirit into the body of the world and established an illumined civilization among the principles of divine civilization he came to proclaim is the most great peace of mankind. Among his principles of spiritual civilization is the oneness of the kingdom of humanity. Among the principles of heavenly civilization he brought is the virtue of the human world. Among the principles of celestial civilization he announced is the improvement and betterment of human morals. Today, the world of humanity is in need of international unity and conciliation. To establish these great fundamental principles, a propelling power is needed. It is self-evident that the unity of the human world and the most great peace cannot be accomplished through material means. They cannot be established through political power. For the political interests of nations are various, 
and the policies of people are divergent and conflicting. They cannot be founded through racial or patriotic power, for these are human powers, selfish and weak. The very nature of racial differences and patriotic prejudices prevents the realization of this unity and agreement. Therefore, it is evidenced that the promotion of the oneness of the kingdom of humanity, which is the essence of the teachings of all the manifestations of God, is impossible except through the divine power and breaths of the Holy Spirit. Other powers are too weak and are incapable of accomplishing this. For man, two wings are necessary. One wing is physical power and material civilization. The other is spiritual power and divine civilization. With one wing only, flight is impossible. Two wings are essential. Therefore, no matter how much material civilization advances, it cannot attain to perfection except through the uplift of spiritual civilization. All the prophets have come to promote divine bestowals, to found the spiritual civilization and teach the principles of morality. Therefore, we must strive with all our powers so that spiritual influences may gain the victory. For material forces have attacked mankind. The world of humanity is submerged in a sea of materialism. The rays of the sun of reality are seen but dimly and darkly through opaque glasses. The penetrative power of the divine bounty is not fully manifest. In Persia, among the various religions and sects, there were intense differences. Baha'u'llah appeared in that country and founded the spiritual civilization. He established affiliation among the various peoples, promoted the oneness of the human world, and unfurled the banner of the most great peace. He wrote special epistles covering these facts to all the kings and rulers of nations. Sixty years ago, he conveyed his message to the leaders of the political world and to high dignitaries of the spiritual world. Therefore, spiritual civilization is progressing in the Orient, and oneness of humanity and peace among the nations is being accomplished step by step. Now I find a strong movement for universal peace emanating from America. It is my hope that the standard of the oneness of the world of humanity may be upraised with the utmost solidity so that the Orient and the Occident may become perfectly reconciled and attain complete intercommunication. The hearts of East and West become united and attracted. Real union become unveiled. The light of guidance shine. Divine effulgences be seen day by day so that the world of humanity may find complete tranquility. The eternal happiness of man become evident and the hearts of the people of the world be as mirrors in which the rays of the sun of reality may be reflected. Consequently, it is my request that you should strive so that the light of reality may shine and the everlasting felicity of the world of man become apparent.
I will pray for you so you may attain this everlasting happiness. When I arrived in the city, I was made very happy, for I perceived that the people here have capacity for divine bestowals and have worthiness for the civilization of heaven. I pray that you may attain to all merciful bounties. This brings us to our third segment of the podcast, the roundtable discussion. As you may know, it's important to turn thought into action. So we are joined now by Sophie, Shaheen, and Harom to discuss the implications of this message and how to turn these ideas into reality. Hi, my name is Sophie and I'm a historian. Hi, my name is Harun, I'm a teacher. Hi, my name is Shaheen, um, I am a former student. I studied uh, identity through historical lenses in, in his opening lines, what, what I found particularly fascinating with, with this talk and just other talks as well was um, the master's ability to relate to any audience that um, he was speaking to, whether it was a scientific audience, a philosophical audience, a Christian audience, you know, whatever audience it was, he always related to it. In the crowd, he would always listen, you know? And so here when he opens, you know, um, where he says, the revered doctor read a verse from the epistle of St. Paul to Corinthians. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. You know, he's relating to this Christian audience, you know, the Church of the Ascension. Um, by, by, and, and taking this phrase and then relating it to the topic that he wanted to, to speak to. Um, and then in particular here, relating that, uh, I guess, passage from the Bible to this idea of uh, material and spiritual civilization um, and commenting and, and never really going into any negative aspects of, you know, America, you know, it's, it's such a shame that America, you know, is this or that, you know, this country is this way. No, he says, you know, praise be to God that you guys have attained such great heights of material civilization, you know, but here's, you know, something else that you might want to work on. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting, like, if you want to, the approach that the master uses, like if you want to have an influence on people, you have to meet people and just meeting people wherever they are and using the examples that they know. And this is the approach that the master is using. Yeah, kind of saying this is how far you came and how laudable that is, but this is how f what we still must walk. That's the path we still must walk. Work is not done yet, yeah. Just the master's words uh, reigned true or reigned true then and still reign true today. Uh, and in many ways more so today than they did. I was speaking to individuals earlier um, about how so much emphasis has been placed on uh, material civilization and developing material civilization. And the focus has been on going to school for the purpose of getting a job or for, for the purpose of, you know, uh, making money, this and that, that we've lost sight of the truer purpose of education. We've lost sight of the spiritual side to education and how our workforces now are struggling, you know, to uh, produce, <laughs> are struggling to perform, are struggling to apply their mind creatively to the problems of society, to, to provide solutions to the things that we see. 
struggling to read their own reality in this sense. Yeah, I like I like how he explains how we are just focusing on that one part of it, the material civilization with the image he uses about the lamp and the light. He says, material civilization is like unto the lamp, while spiritual civilization is a light in that lamp. If the material and spiritual civilization become united, then we will have the light and the lamp together and the outcome will be perfect. Yeah, it sounds so simple and now we have to do it. <laughs> it's so interesting, like, when you think about these words that were spoken by the master. And even right now, if you see the problems that mostly are affecting the world, it's like people are really indulging themselves in materialism and they forgot about uh, spirituality. And that's why like we have things like corruption everywhere. You can see corruption because we are always thinking about material things. Even students, universities, they have forgotten the importance of education. They think they view education in terms of, of money hmm. and they never see education in terms of assisting the society. What I do find hopeful about these times of material crisis is that it seems to awaken people to the fact that something is missing. So when, you know, economies are crashing down or there are natural disasters, there seems to be a growing um, awareness of, of unity of mankind and of the fact that you know, life is not just about those material things that are falling away. So it's, it may sound a bit con uh, like a contradiction that it's opening up that other aspect of reality, but it, it seems to do that. Like, I'm quite hopeful about the future, even though everybody's, when you, if, when you read all the newspapers, you know, it's, it's like gloom everywhere, but at the same time, there's these little plants of hope poking up their heads through the snow. <laughs> yeah, really, for sure, there is hope. Like, you can see even, we have some people that have realized there is really a problem. This is not the right way to go. And mm. you can see some people that are trying to come up with the, uh, new ideas and how maybe they can solve this problem. It's like people are aware of it and people that are trying to struggle to come up with a solution. I mean, Abdu'l-Baha himself was, was very hopeful, you know, in, 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 his, in his talks, but he talks about the need for a propelling power, mm -hmm. right? So even, even when you have like these material things and you have, um, you know, just this material crisis, people are coming to the realization that there needs to be something else. And so there's this sort of awakening to, well, okay, what are those forces that need to be there? And so now humanity is starting on this process of investigation. Well, is it politics? You know, is it, mm. um, uh, is it material things? Is it technology? Are, are, they, are these things, you know? But um, really what Abdu'l-Baha is saying here is that, um, he says, the, the very, uh, sorry, therefore it is evidence that the promotion of the oneness of the kingdom of humanity, which is the essence of the teachings of all the manifestations of God, is impossible except through the divine power and breaths of the Holy Spirit. Other powers are too weak and are incapable of accomplishing this. So um, what's really striking is that, um, and I, I think I mentioned this before, is that 
You know, he doesn't say material civilization is bad. He praises it. You know, he's like, thanks be to God that, you know, you guys have achieved such progress. You know, but you need the spiritual civilization along with it. You know, and so, but, and without it, you know, technology and, and civilization can be used for evil. But with it, such progress and power can be achieved. And you can see that today, which is what one of the things I think is so hopeful is that we're starting to see that. We're starting to see groups and pockets of people, individuals, using technology for the promotion and well-being of humanity. Yeah, I think <clears throat> there is uh, one thing very important that Abdulba mentioned here is trying to say that we need to have a balance between uh, mm -hmm. uh, material things and spiritual things. And, and that's why he says it's like two wings. Like we need all, like for example, we need two wings, like a bird need two wings for it to fly. But if we lack, maybe we rely on one side, the other one will suffer. So he's talking about a, a balance. We need to have a balance between material and spirituality. Yeah, plus the so-called strong wing will suffer as well if the other wing is not strong. Yeah. yeah. When, when you said earlier on about um, we need divine power, I understand that to be as, you know, being turned towards God and being turned towards the manifestations of God to receive guidance on how to make this world a better place. He even goes on to talk about just the prophets of God in general. You know, all the prophets have come to promote divine bestowals, to found the spiritual civilization and teach the principles of morality. You know, but I think, I think a lot of us today recognize that it's going to take more than just turning to the writings of the prophets in order to accomplish it. There needs to be a system in place. There needs to be, uh, in fact, a culture in place where um, we can actually learn how to take what is said and put it into practice. You know, and to build the civilization. We're workers, you know, in that sense. And so unless we have the skills and abilities, the understanding of certain concepts and the qualities and attitudes in order to get out into the field and really test to see, okay, what does unity in this context look like? You know, what does, you know, spiritual, civil or said teaching spirituality in schools and in education look like? You know, and nobody knows necessarily. We have some ideas, but... Completely, holistically, eh, who knows? You know, in this neighborhood, it's going to be completely different than this neighborhood. You know? and, and I think, I think that's, that's one of the things that the Baha'i world and just many organizations are starting to look at today, which is another source of hope, if, if, you, if you look at it in that perspective. But um, overall, I think, I think just this complementarity of reflection, action, study, in particular looking at um, and studying the writings and really embodying the writings and, you know, um, putting them into action will um, not necessarily establish the civilization, but will help us to sort of build that civilization gradually. That's it for our podcast this week. Special thanks to Rory Cunningham and Michael Mastry for playing the reporters and Jandis Venderdool for playing Juliet Thompson. Also thanks to our guests, Sophie Jesher, Shaheen James, and Haron Gume for participating in the Roundtable Discussion Group. 
If you'd like more information about Abdu'l-Baha's travels in the West, visit our website, thejourneywest.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at The Journey West. Thanks, everyone.